This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. Okay, I'm busy with a series called uh, Spirit Wars, and I've been doing a yo, lot of research, a lot of reading, a lot of studying to, to find, hopefully, myself not speaking a whole lot of rubbish on, uh, on the Sunday. So it's been uh, quite a life-changing series for myself, just working through these truths. And uh, so this morning, I want to speak to you about uh, divide and conquer. Spirit wars, divide and conquer. Okay, so if you haven't realized yet, there's real evil in this world. And hopefully over the last six weeks or so with the series, you would have noticed just me sharing some really hectic stories of, uh, of what uh, evil is doing in this world. And so I've realized that the main, the primary strategy of evil is to cause division on every level of society. Okay, so the enemy scheme is to cause division on every level of society, whether in the family, marriage, nationally, because the enemy knows that where there is division, there's pain. Where there's division, there is pain. Okay, and I'm, I'm, I'm a, I experienced it myself, my, my parents, I remember as a nine-year-old, ten-year-old, uh, my parents at times fought viciously. And uh, I remember being very upset by the way they were fighting. And uh, I remember the one time I was in my room and my dad came to me and I was just crying. And like, you guys going to divorce? And, and he was saying, no, we're not going to divorce. We're just fighting a little bit. Anyway, they divorced. <laughs> so I'll for good news. But I, I remember the pain, you know, that, that we as a family went through. Even as a young man, I was grade five, grade six, and, and I was, you know, I, I, I battled to cope with the division in the house. And, and I, would started to, I started to sleepwalk. I started to, I was just like, walk out of the house in the middle of the night. There I go. And then I turned back and come and ring the bell. And, you know, obviously there, were tra- there was trauma on the inside, you know. So the division in the house caused pain in my life and, and my, my parents' lives. So also, um, you know, just myself, you know, with the, with the division and the pain that was caused, um, I was exposed. At the, I, was a, I was a nice young boy. And my mom and I had a good relationship, and at when I was, say, nine or ten, you know, she would still tell me how, how we had a wonderful relationship. But now with the divorce, things went south. A lot of pain came into the home, and my dad was living somewhere else, and I would sometimes go there, and then I was exposed to pornography in the uh, grade five or six. And uh, it was just like darkness just came upon my soul. So instead of being the nice boy, I became extremely rebellious, angry young man. So my mom, when I was in high school, she would tell her friends that I was the child from hell. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was possessed. I really was. Like darkness on myself. Anger. My mom and I couldn't be in the same room without fighting. It was really bad, and so there was a lot of pain in the house, a lot of confusion, and I, it, was, it, was, it was a mess, and the, 
And the source was division. Division causes pain. You know? So I don't know, when I, when I became a Christian at the age of 18, my mom and I re-reconciled and we have a good relationship now. Jesus brought us back together again, you know? And we love chatting now over the phone and, and uh, we sometimes argue about spiritual things, but otherwise we, uh, we, <laughs> we're good. And so the Lord Jesus brought unity again or restored relationship, but there's darkness on my soul and caused division. So the enemy's scheme is to bring division. That is his, that is his primary strategy because he knows it leads to pain. So a mom, or say a husband and a wife, I don't know if any married couples have experienced this, but you know, if things are sort of fine, and then it's that suddenly everything's not fine, and you're like you're angry at one another, and you're upset, and you don't know why, you just know you're angry. Now, who's ever been angry at their spouse? All the honest Christians. See, all the singles are like, no way! No way, can't be. I thought marriage is perfect. No, it's not. And, and I've often, you know, and, and yes, many times it's, it's things of the natural, but I tell you there's something, it's sometimes it's just spiritual. There's like, you know, when Sonic and I, sometimes when we miss one another, the one in 10 years moments, you know, we, of the next day and Sonic is still working through it, I'm telling her, Sonic, it's just the devil. Let's blame him. It's so simple. It couldn't have been me. I mean, come on. So, so the enemy, you know, the, 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 the evil tricks us in the end to actually work for the enemy. That's what he does. He divides, and in the end, both parties, each are working now for the enemy in hurting one another. Then we say stuff that we wish we didn't say, and uh, we do things we wish we didn't, and so forth, you know? So, so instead of working together as a husband and wife against evil in this world, the enemy tricks us to fight against one another and hurt one another. And there's few things that hurt as much when previous lovers actually now are haters, you know? So this is so real, you know, this is my counseling with people as well, and marriage, the enemy wants to divide, husband, wife, stand together. You need a common enemy, his name is the devil. Even if it wasn't the devil, just blame him. Okay, but you need to, you need to realize this is the strategy to cause anger and disconnect. Okay, so there's a verse here in, uh, I'm going to read that first verse in Matthew twelve twenty five, This is Jesus speaking, and he says, But Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself, like every nation divided against itself, is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself will not stand. In other words, division leads to a curse. I mean, I'm sure you've experienced it, all the married people or maybe a family, you know, you, everything was fine and now there's rebellion in one of the children, the teenagers or whatever. And it just, it changes the atmosphere in the house. You know, with Sonic and me, when we've missed one another, it's like we can't sleep. It's just like that light's going to be on for a long time tonight. 
while we sort things out, until we find one another again, until we reconciled. So how does the enemy divide a nation? How does the enemy divide a nation? Our country is quite divided at this time. And I've been reading about uh, Nazism and Hitler and how he operated and how he divided Germany. You know how they divide? You get an enemy. Now with Hitler, the enemy was the Jews and a few other people. Millions of people, actually. But uh, so the, 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 the enemy was the Jews, you know, so that's their fault. So the Germans actually began to blame the Jews that they lost the First World War. So it was the Jews' fault. And it's the Jews' fault that there are poverty and the economies and what it should be. And so they were starting to blame. They were demonizing a specific group of people. And so that's how the enemy does it. He divides so that he can falsely unite against a specific group of people. Look at the genocide in Rwanda. You know, we as people in general, we want to blame somebody. You're going through something. It's not lacquer. It's not good. You're not enjoying this. And so we're trying to find someone to blame. Okay, and so currently, this is the narrative being proclaimed in our country by guys like Julius Malema, proclaiming to the, to the poor working class people, guys, you're poor, and yes, you are battling, and you are in pain, and that's true. Do you know who's the problem? It's the whites' fault. It's the whites. It's all their fault. And if we just give you a lot of property, you're going to be happy. Have you heard that narrative? I mean, that's going. So it's a setup. It's a false solution to the problem, a real problem. There is poverty. There is a lot of pain in our country. But now the messiahs have been speaking. There's the false messiahs getting up saying, hey, I've got the answer, people. And we've seen history shows us that that answer does not bring real, real peace to people. So I, I, this is where we're at. The, the enemy is trying to divide us. And we need to understand it's a spirit war that we need to fight with prayer and then a few other things. So I want to this morning, I want to explain to us how the enemy is trying to divide us as a country. And I'm trusting it's going to bring freedom to us. So I said last week, the divine truth leads us into the divine presence. Okay? Divine truth leads us into the divine presence. Without truth, we will be led into the devil's presence and we won't know it. Okay? That's what I shared about last week. I want to share with you today basically this divine truth, divine truth and love leads to unity. You need both. You need divine truth and you need love so that we can be led into unity. Division is built upon fear and upon lies. Division is built upon fear and lies. Unity is built upon truth and love. Making a peace sign today. It leads to peace, truth, and love. And you need both. The church tends to err to the one side or the other. Truth, 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 but lacking compassion. Or love, 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 but lacking truth. And love without truth isn't love at all. Real love speaks the truth. 
Real love speaks the truth, you know. So if we want real unity in our relationships, we need to speak the truth from a heart of love and compassion. Okay, so division built on lies and fear. So I want to reveal that to you. And then unity is built on truth and love. Okay, so I want to answer this question. It's going to impact our, um, you can pull it through to your home to your marriage, to your relationships. But I'll answer this question. How do we unite a nation? How do we unite South Africa? So I want to start off by reading Acts 17, 24 to 28. How do we unite our country? First thing is there, we need to be one nation under God. One nation under God. Look at, the, look at this, Acts 17, verse 24 to 28. It says, God who made the world and everything in it. You need to start with God. If we start anywhere else, we're going to get at the wrong destination. So God, say God, who made the world and everything in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. Everything that's good comes from God. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined the pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwelling so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. Now, there's a lot in that passage, but I want to highlight this. What is the highest law of the land? The Constitution? Highest authority in the land? The president? Now we're not sure. Is this a trick question? No, 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 no. Highest law in the land, highest authority in the land is God himself. He's the owner of everything. He is the ultimate God and king. And we need to understand this. Otherwise, we will succumb to, to pressure. So we need to understand God is the ultimate ruler over South Africa. We are one nation under God, if we like it or not. Every human being will stand before God on Judgment Day. Ramaphosa is going to stand before God on Judgment Day. And Jesus is going to ask him, uh, what did you do? Were you, did, were you faithful to what I called you to do or weren't you? Every man, every woman will stand before God and give an account for how they lived. Okay? And then the highest law of the land is the Word of God. That is the constitution of the planet so yes, we obey the constitution of our country as long as it aligns with the constitution of heaven. If it doesn't align with the constitution of heaven, if the, if the, if the country says, no, you're not allowed to preach the gospel, you're not talk, allowed to talk about Jesus anymore, guess what? We're going to talk about Jesus. Amen. We need to understand that we need to get our order right, otherwise we're going to succumb to pressure, intimidation. From, from, from the people of this, from, from rulers that might be losing their way. But God owns everything. We need to start there. We're one nation under God. And this is the truth. Everything begins with God. Okay, come on, let's say it. Everything begins with God. 
A whole lot of people are starting with there is no God and it's leading to a lot of pain, a lot of confusion because they are, you, you, you think this is the solution, but it isn't the solution. Okay, so then it says in him we live and move and have our being. In Jesus we live. In him we move. In him we have our being. So all life flows forth from him. So I don't know if you know this, but Nkosisikelele Africa is actually it's a, a, a song that was written in 1897 by a Methodist minister, African Methodist minister. And, and it's, it's this prayer, say, God bless Africa. This is a prayer like, like the chorus says, descend, O Spirit. Descend, O Holy Spirit. Lord, bless us, your family. Isn't that powerful? Lord, bless us, your family. Let your Holy Spirit come. Bless our country. Bless Africa. This, this, in Kosisikalele, Africa is actually the national anthem of a few countries. And being sung in, in, in many different countries in Africa. But it's so powerful, this God, let your, bless us. Let your kingdom come. So this is the question we need to ask. Where does freedom come from? Where does freedom come from? Because if I read the newspapers and I'm reading about the United States and I'm reading about, um, you know, the, the struggles of the blacks, I mean, legally they are free, but somehow they're still unhappy. And now we come to South Africa. Now in South Africa we have blacks that are unhappy, we have whites that are unhappy, we have flip, everybody's unhappy, you know. So we have a free country, apartheid is gone, supposed to be. Everybody have equal opportunities, but now, for some reason, it's like, no, we're not happy because we don't have property. Now, let me ask you this question. What if, let's play it out. Let's give 80% of all property in our country to the black people. Are they going to be happy? Are we going to be a happy nation? I don't think so. And I'm not saying we shouldn't sort things out and balance things out and and give and be a blessing. I'm just asking this question. We are saying this is the solution, but will it really be the solution? Because when I read the scriptures, I'm reading, no, earthly things will not satisfy. The most unhappy people on the planet are millionaires and billionaires, empty homes and broken relationships. You know, so they, it's like the, there's a spirit in our country trying to make our people discontented. And saying the solution is, say, property or whatever else. I do think it's going to help if we start winning some real cricket. <laughs> now there's a solution. Win the World Cup. Yes. I'm joking. <laughs> but, but are you seeing what I'm saying? Is that there's, there's, a, there's a narrative being communicated that this is the solution for our land, and I'm saying it's a false solution because property will not make you happy. I'm not saying we mustn't deal with poverty. We need to. And they are, we need to look after our people. But, you know, when I read history, things can get much worse. Zimbabwe, for instance, communist nations where millions starve because we forcefully took stuff away and we're going to force it right. That doesn't work. Amen. It doesn't work. 
So we need to get back to scripture and we need to preach the real gospel. What is the truth? What is the solution? Real freedom is in Jesus Christ. Real freedom is in saying we are one nation under God and we're going to follow him. And Jesus is the good news. Stuff, things will not make us happy. Only Christ himself will make us happy. And this is the challenge. The church needs to rise up and start saying the truth. And we need to start praying that these forces that are trying to divide us and make us hate and be fearful, we need to address those things in the spirit and say, devil, shut up. Because the truth is we have awesome people in our country from all colors. Awesome people. Amen. We have beautiful people in South Africa. I love being a South African and I love our people. But the enemy is trying to divide us through what? Through fear. Become afraid of one another or hate one another or blame one another. You know, I want to honestly say this to you. Um, politics is not the solution for our country currently because all our political parties are extremely liberal. All of them except the ACDP. The African Christian Democratic Party. It's the only little party, only party that's actually standing by the word of God that I know of. The rest are all liberal. So what the heck are we fighting about? <laughs> We're not fighting for Jesus. We're not fighting for the word of God. We're not fighting for truth. So I'm saying I am not putting my faith in politics to save us. But I tell you, the church of Jesus Christ, if the church in this nation would rise up with love and truth, our land will be changed. Amen. Come on. So we need to, we need to realize this. So the first thing is, if we want to unite our nation, we need to realize we are one nation under God. And even the atheists don't want to believe this, but they're going to stand before Jesus one day. And they're going to shake. That's just how it is. There's eternity and it's coming. Secondly, I want to touch on that one. Uh, in that one verse, it says, we are all made by one blood. I read the scriptures and I, I hear the word of God saying that God made us, all of mankind, all nations of one blood. We are family. Our great, 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 great granddaddy, somebody was Noah and one of his family members. But somehow down the line, people started to stereotype and started to focus on ethnicity and do you know what this actually is? Skin color is based on, uh, uh, is it melatonin? Melanin, thank you, melanin. It's simply melanin changing the color. So I want to propose this to you today that we're all colored. One says, I'm a lacquer. <laughs> the one is just darker than the other. I, and, and I've got news for you. I've got news for you. Jesus didn't look like this. Jesus looked a little bit more over there and over here than some of us here. Jesus was not European. He was a Jew. And he wasn't white. He was olive-skinned. Sexy olive-skinned. Yes! Somehow... Down the line, someone started to categorize. And he's, the enemy has put us in a bad place. So we've got whites and blacks. I would say it's all rubbish. 
We colored because it's lacquer. <laughs> Just different shades of brown. That's all we are. Same blood. We all bleed red. Same blood, original blood that is running through our veins. We are one family, one blood, peoples from all over the earth. And it's beautiful. It is wonderful. And God is wanting to remove the fear or the hatred from us so we can celebrate one another. We can celebrate as my, 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 my brother in Christ. Or we're all in the end one big family. So we were in Brazil. And in Brazil, all colors like I showed you here right now, they have zero racism in Brazil because they're all Brazilians. Someone didn't stuff it up by starting to say, you're white and you're black. Eh? I mean, under apartheid, they tried to classify it was a mess. The comb in the hair, come on, man. Nonsense, trying to find if you're a black man. If the comb sticks in the hair, you're black. <laughs> that was the official test at home affairs. And if you were walking around without your pass, without your passport, or without your ID, and you look a little bit colored or not, then they put the pencil in the hair. If, the hair, if it falls out, then you're not black or whatever, you know. Come on. That's insanity. The truth from the scriptures is we are one blood. We are family. We are all peoples all over the earth. And South Africa needs to know this and hear this so that God can set us free. Amen. There's only the human race. There are no races. There's only the human race. So I want to show you a video clip. It's from a documentary made in 1957. It's an interview with, um, please don't anybody be offended now. It's a Dutch Reformed Duomeni. In, they're interviewing. Many of us, my, Sonica's grandfather was a Duomeni. He says not to, to bash any, any church. Or, I just want to reveal to you what happens when the church begins to compromise. When we get wrong ideas in our heads. You see, there were enough believers in 1950, 1948 to stop apartheid from happening. But because the church gave in, it could happen. So I'm going to show us, let's quickly, it's just a one and a half minute video clip. By far the largest church denomination in the Union of South Africa is the Dutch Reformed Church. With a membership of almost two million white and non-white members. With us this morning is Dominique Adrian Berger. Secretary of the Federal Council of Dutch Reformed Churches and editor of Die Volekte, the Transvaal Church magazine. How many burger you believe in apartheid as a way of life? Yes, I do. Why? In South Africa. Why is that, sir? Uh, because the race, which is in uh, a lesser state of development, is by far in the majority here. And numerically, of course, they are much stronger. And because also I believe that it is according to God's will that the white race, which is in the majority in this country, should be preserved. And also everything we have done in the last 300 years and built up in the church and in the state should be preserved and not be swallowed up by an, I wouldn't say inferior race, because it, I don't believe it is an inferior race, but a lesser a, a, a race which is in a lesser state of development, that's all. Quite shocking. See, but that's the influence of the evolution theory <clears throat> that uh, 
You've got more developed races and less developed races. And because the church embraced that theology, it opened the way for what's called, what's called apartheid. So what is racism? Racism is discrimination or antagonism directed against someone of a different race based on the belief that one's own race is superior. That very definition is false because they are not different races. We're just one human race. And what has happened, if I've been studying it, it's the fear that causes people. Fear or inferiority, like a superiority or inferiority. Those two things can lead to racism. Blacks can be racist just as much as whites can be racist. So it's looking down on others. It's a, we are superior to you and we're looking down upon you. Fascinating fact, Hitler was... He was promoting the Aryan race, the, you know, the white, the blonde-haired, blue-eyed, perfect, superhuman race that was, he was, was promoting. He wasn't like that. You know, he had dark hair, brown eyes type of vibes. And he also shares in his book, Mein Kampf, that he felt, unbel- he felt intimidated or inferior to the British, the French, and to others. He felt inferior. The inferiority led to hatred. And he he basically said, I'm going to wipe their smiles off their faces. It was actually inferiority, not superiority, that led him to become such a hateful man. And so in our environment, the same thing can happen. We can either look down upon others or their culture or who they are, or we can feel inferior and also in the end hate so or fear. So I want, to sh- I want to read this um, in that same, um, in that same uh, documentary. They were interviewing a guy in 1957, um, and, and uh, uh, they interviewed a, a white guy, lightly colored guy, <laughs> and, uh, and he, was, he was in San Francisco, and, and someone asked him this question, this doctor, Dr. D.F. Milan must be a very vicious old man. Speaking about the president at that time and also the uh, orchestrator of apartheid. And then this guy who wasn't very pro-government, then he replied and he said, actually, no, he's a really nice old man. And I listened to this, what he said. When you make your own survival your supreme moral value, then you are capable of almost anything, even though you're a nice old man. That is so profound for me. When you make your own survival, your supreme moral value, then you are capable of almost anything, even though you're a nice old man. See, this speaks into the fear component for many of us. I've been also reading and studying. There's been fear in South Africa for hundreds of years. Ask the, the, the white guys, the white people in the 1820s and 30s. They were terrified of releasing their slaves because the slaves are going to kill them. There were like six slaves for every settler. Do you know what happened? They prayed and said, God, the, the white people, they prayed and said, Lord, because uh, slavery was abolished in, in, in Britain and it was coming out to South Africa. And they prayed like, should we, should we not? Because we're terrified these guys are going to kill us. And they prayed, and in that week, there was a sign from heaven that was like rain in the middle of summer. It normally doesn't rain or something, but they, had like a, they felt a sign from heaven, do it. So they released the slaves. You know what happened? The slaves went to church. The people went to church. It was actually wonderful. It was beautiful. 
But I'm realizing in the 1940s and 50s, there was the same narrative. Guys, we're afraid. Guys, we're afraid. What if they rise up and kill you? What if they drive you into the sea? The fear. And we're still talking about the fear. We're still afraid. Of what? It's a trick from the enemy. It's how he divides. We become afraid. And then we begin to hate. And then we become to judge. And we judge our own family, our own people. I am a South African. You are a South African. These are our people. doesn't matter what color of brown they are. Amen. This is truth that sets us free. God wants to make us one. And it's powerful. It's the whole thing about self. And that's why the Bible speaks about coming to the cross and dying to self. Because there's freedom there. And then we have a man called Nelson Mandela, 27 years in jail. He's lost so much of his life. He was badly treated for so many years. He had all the right to do revenge, and he didn't. He chose to love, and he chose to celebrate. I mean, he celebrated different cultures. He celebrated different languages. He celebrated the Afrikaner as much as the black man. He, he celebrated everybody. Isn't that just beautiful? For me, that's so Christ-like. I don't know if he knew Christ, but he, that was so godly. And I believe God is calling you and me to also be different. You and I can make a difference. When, there's a, when you're walking in the street and there's a black man walking down and you're like, is he maybe want to do something? <laughs> All the white people, greet the guy, man. Be nice. Be nice, be loving, be kind. Break out. And now also for the black guy walking down the street, he's probably also thinking, man, that white guy's thinking, I'm going to do something now. Dude, I'm not going to do anything. We have beautiful people in our country, but we need to break through the fear, the suspicion, and trust in God that he is with us. Amen. We need to celebrate differences. Amen. So I'll read this. This is so powerful. This is the key. Galatians 3 verse 27. It comes down to knowing who you are. You need to know who you are. You need to know who you really are. It says there, for you are all sons of God. Now, it's not about gender now. So you're, even the ladies, you're a son of God. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. That's who you and I am. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither, say neither, Jew nor Greek, there is, say neither, slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one. Come on, let's say it, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. This is so powerful. So Jesus comes to break down the division on every level, whether it be in the home, male, female. Hey, woman, you must just wash the dishes. That's all you're good for. No, he's saying, no, she's valuable. She's made in the very image of God. She's precious. She's special. But we, you know, that's where the division come in. You know, a woman is upset, maybe been hurt in the past. Men. Ugh. <laughs> but men, you know, they are just, oh, like that, you know. And men are like women. Oh. 
Just want to control you, you know, and mess you around. You're going to have fun. Just want to be out with the boys. <sighs> and so we, there's this division that happens, and God wants to make us one in Christ. There is no more. I mean, this division. When we were in India years ago, um, yeah, what a good, wonderful experience. So we were with the Indians there, and we were praying. Such beautiful, beautiful people. And at times, you know, we would pray together. We would pray in tongues. So it would be your spirit language. It's like all of us are spirit beings in different shells. And so we were all praying together in tongues. It was like, man, that sounds just like my tongues. There was like this heavenly language, this heavenly culture uniting us, making us one. It was wonderful. Different nations, different peoples, but we have this stereotyping thing. You know, you can only stereotype from a distance. But when you get closer, it's like, yo, this is a human being, valuable, precious, loved by God. I want to encourage you, remove the stereotypes. Break, walk through those walls. Make a decision to break down those walls. Amen. Come on, let's be, be different. So you and I need to know who we are. Your identity is not found in your skin color nor your culture, nor your sexuality, but rather in being a child of God. We won't be inferior to others if we know who we are in Christ. We are all part of the human race. We also need to know who others are. They are made in the image of God, and they are beautiful. Made in God's image. And then it says, heirs according to the promise. And that basically says that the poorest of the poor becomes the richest of the rich when they meet Jesus. And the richest of the rich without Christ is the poorest of the poor, miserably poor. There is no life outside of Christ. So I want to speak, release truth into us so we can see our world in the right way. Jesus Christ is the solution to racism and all forms of discrimination. All forms. Now this is where the challenge comes in. So I want to end up with this. How do you unite a nation? We, we need to understand we are one nation under God. Secondly, we need to know who we are in Christ. We are all one in Christ. And then thirdly, we need to have an uncompromised and compassionate church. Uncompromised and compassionate church. You see, you and I, we are ambassadors for Christ. Now, quick question. If you are an ambassador for a nation, say you're the ambassador for the United States and you are in Greece, do you have the right to make up your own laws? Do you have the right to make up your own legal whatever things, your own policies? You can't. Why? Because you're the ambassador. You're representing another kingdom. The kingdom of the United States, the nation of the United States. So you're just the ambassador. So you will go to the president of that country or the people there and say, guys, um, my nation has decided that this is how it is. Don't fight with me. Throw a nuke over there. Not my problem. And in the same way, now this is the challenging thing. An uncompromised, compassionate church. Because what happens is we either err to the love side or we err to the truth side. We believe sometimes that love is to not speak the truth. It's not love. Love that doesn't speak the truth isn't love. If you want, if you want real unity in your relationships, you need to speak truth 
with a loving heart, with a compassionate heart. Issues don't go away, people. If there's issues in your marriage, it doesn't just go away. You need to talk about it. You need to engage. If you're stuck, you need to get help. But the key for relationship is truth and love. Speak the truth and love. That's what the scriptures say. Okay, so now currently, even as say with the, the Dutch Reformed Church in the 1940s, they were under pressure to succumb to the powers at B. Same thing, currently, the church is under pressure to compromise the truths of Scripture because of pressure. It's unpopular. It's unpopular to actually speak what the Scriptures say. But, you know, I'm an ambassador for Christ, so I'm going to speak the Word of God. You are an ambassador for Christ. You need to speak the truth of God, but not vindictive, not as a, you know, from a place of superiority, not looking down on others, but because you love somebody. Can I have an amen? Okay, so that's very important. You need both. A compassionate, uncompromising church. So the church is the protector of truth, but also a lover of people. We are the salt and the light. The salt preserves and the light shines so that people can find Christ. I promise you, if the church of Jesus Christ in this nation rises up, our nation will be united and healed and restored with the churches, the ones that, that keep evil from flooding in. That's you and me. So look at this, Matthew 10, verse 34 to 39. We talk about how to overcome division. Last verse. It says, do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. This is Jesus speaking. He says, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. What? Is that in the scriptures? Now, that's not a scripture most people like to quote, do they? I did not come to bring peace, but a sword, for I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, and he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who, he who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Okay, now there's a lot in there. So I'm going to quickly unpack that. The last bit there, it says, he who loses life for my sake will find it. What does it mean? That means we are, our highest moral goal is not the preservation of self. Amen? Our goal is to surrender our lives for the cause of Christ. We're not afraid. We're not afraid. Okay? When, we, when, when self-preservation is our highest goal, we will be unloving because of fear. And we will also not proclaim the truth because it's not popular. But when we lay down our lives, we're going to do truth and love. Then Jesus demands absolute loyalty. Why? Because that is freedom. That is freedom. He's saying, when you surrender your life to me, you actually become free. When you don't care anymore what people think, you are free. When you're no longer afraid of the others, you are free to love. This is so powerful. When you're no longer, maybe, you know, even in your marriage, when you, when, you, when you choose to no longer be afraid of getting hurt, you can love again. Most people close down off their hearts because they're afraid of getting hurt. The bigger risk is to not love. So we need to love. So then that, that bit about Jesus bringing a sword and not peace. Now, that, now how this works is the truth, and this is where the, the, you follow me, this, this is uh, where people sort of lose their way. The truth at first, divides. 
but ultimately leads to real unity. Okay? False unity is to not speak the truth. Real unity is when you speak the truth, it might be unhappy at one time, but ultimately leads to real unity. If you are a Jew and you come to Christ, you become a Messianic Jew, your family will probably reject you, as we have people in church whose families have rejected them. If you are a Muslim and you turn to Jesus, your family might kill you. If you are a Christian and you come maybe from a very religious background and you are now part of, oh, my shattered nerves, you're part of those happy, clappy people, they are actually excited about Jesus. Oh, my, no, 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 no. I remember my dad, he was like, mom and dad, both of them were like, when I became a Christian, I was really, really passionate. And, uh, and I, I had this impression, they were like, please just go to the pub and get drunk again or something. But this is like really freaking us out. This passion. Freaking us out. The full on going for Jesus. So what I'm saying is, when you follow Jesus, at first there might be a disconnect. At first there might be division. But ultimately... It leads to a unity that is absolute freedom. Amen. Divine truth and love leads us into unity. Division is built upon fear and lies. Amen. Come on, let's say it. Jesus wants to set people free. There's real freedom, but you need truth and love. We need an uncompromising compassionate church. So I want to encourage you. Stand for what is true, but with compassion and with humility and with a great love for those who do need to hear the truth. Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share. Sing.